you, Mr. Cairo. May a strange offer condolences for your partner's unfortunate death. Thanks. Is there Mr. Spade as the newspapers imply a certain relationship between that uh, unfortunate happening and uh, the death a little later of the man Thursby? I beg your pardon, no. More than idle curiosity prompted my question. See, Mr. Spade, I'm trying to recover ornament that, uh, shall we say, has been mislaid. Uh-huh. I thought and hoped you could assist me. The ornament uh, is a statuette. Black figure of a bird. I am prepared to pay on behalf of the figure's rightful owner the sum of $5,000 for its recovery. I am prepared to promise that, uh, what is the phrase, uh, no questions will be asked. $5,000 is a lot of money. Yes, Abby? No, that'll be all. Just be sure to lock the door behind you on your way out. Good night. Five thousand dollars. You will clasp your hands together at the back of your neck. I intend to search your offices, Mr. Spade. I warn you, if you attempt to prevent me, I shall certainly shoot you. Go ahead and search. You will please come to the center of the room. Good evening. And welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. That, of course, is Peter Laurie and Humphrey Bogart in John Huston's The Maltese Falcon. Released today, 80 years ago, October 3rd, 1941. Before this, Bogart was a bit player. Bogart could play villains. He could play stagehand in Dark Victory with Betty Davis. And, of course, let's not forget the bad guy in uh, The Petrified Forest, also with Betty Davis. And then in 1941, he teamed up with director John Huston. This was John Huston's first movie that he directed. And they made The Maltese Falcon. Legendary film. And then soon after this, Casablanca. And Bogart became big player in Hollywood. One of the best. But it was the Maltese Falcon that really gave him that leading man status that allowed him to make Casablanca to have and to have not. The big sleep. Treasure of Sierra Madre, also with John Huston. And one of my personal favorites, Key Largo. Also directed by John Huston. But it was the Maltese Falcon that really... It changed everything. Based on the 1930 novel of the same name by Dashiell Hammett. Humphrey Bogart is private investigator Sam Spade. Mary Astor is his femme fatale client. Gladys George, Peter Laurie, and Sidney Greenstreet co-star. With the last appearing in his film debut, the story follows a San Francisco private detective and his dealings with three unscrupulous adventurers, all of whom are competing to obtain a jewel-encrusted falcon statuette. This is a legendary film. It really, it, like I said before, this changed everything for Humphrey Bogart. This really did. It's shot so immaculate, 
so many i mean there have been people who have paid homage to it and one that i could mention is the film the grifters starring john houston's daughter angelica houston and how there's a scene in the elevator that director steven spears did as a tribute to john houston and the maltese falcon Legacy. I mean, this this film is legendary. It did very well. But it really, like I said before, this really brought Bogart to the forefront. He was no longer a bit player. Here we go. Always interesting to read some of these. Bogart was not the first choice to play Sam Spade. Producer Hal B. Wallace initially offered the role to George Raft, who rejected it because he did not want to work with an inexperienced director, choosing instead to make Manpower with director Raoul Walsh and co starring Edward G. Robinson and Marlena Dietrich. This was one of the several roles Raft turned down in movies that ended up being classics. Houston was grateful that Bogart had quickly accepted the role, and the film helped to consolidate their lifelong friendship and set the stage for a collaboration on other films. Bogart's convincing interpretation became the archetype of a private detective in the film noir genre, providing him acclaim and solidifying his on-screen persona. Ingrid Bergman watched the Maltese Falcon over and over again while preparing for Casablanca in order to learn how to interact and act with Bogart. Interesting. So here, here's something... Okay. Such is the extent of a preparation of the script that almost no line of dialogue was eliminated in the final edit of the film, except for some exterior night shots. Houston shot the entire film in sequence, which greatly helped his actors. Much of the dialogue from the original novel was retained. The only major section of the novel missing in the film is the story of a man named Flintcraft, who Spade tells to Brigade while waiting in an apartment for Kyle to arrive. Houston removed all references to sex that the Hayes office had deemed to be unacceptable. He was also warned not to show excessive drinking. The director fought the latter on the grounds that Spade was a man who put away a half a bottle of liquor a day, and showing him completely abstaining from alcohol would mean seriously falsifying his character. This began that beautiful friendship and collaboration of director and actor in John Huston and his actor, Humphrey Bogart. John Huston didn't like actors, but according to his daughter, Angelica Huston, and according to Lauren Bacall, the widow of Humphrey Bogart, he loved Humphrey Bogart. He even delivered Bogart's eulogy at his funeral in 1957. But the Maltese Falcon stands the test of time. First-time director, John Huston. And a star about to... Exp- I mean, his, the command of Bogart's powers at this moment. Those, the, those lines, the dialogue. And of course, this moment that sent everyone 
into Bogart's atmosphere because he was so great at delivering those lines. And you can freeze frame a film where Bogart delivers those legendary lines. And in The Maltese Falcon, that is also the case. Here's a moment so legendary from the film. And yes, it is from Shakespeare. Here we go. The Maltese Falcon. You're supposed to do something about it. It doesn't make any difference what you thought of. He was your partner and you're supposed to do something about it. And it happens we're in the detective business. Well, when one of your organization gets killed, it's, it's bad business to let the killer get away with it. Bad all around. Bad for every detective everywhere. You don't expect me to think of these things you're saying. There's sufficient reason for sending me to this. Wait till I'm through, then you can talk. I have no earthly reason to think I can trust you. And if I do this and get away with it, you'll have something on me that you can use whenever you want to. Since I've got something on you, I couldn't be sure that you wouldn't put a hole in me someday. All those are on one side. Maybe some of them are unimportant. I won't argue about that. But look at the number of them. What have we got on the other side? All we've got is that maybe you love me and maybe I love you. You know whether you love me or not. Maybe I do. I'll have some rotten nights after I've sent you over, but that'll pass. If all I've said doesn't mean anything to you, then forget it and we'll make it just this. I won't because all of me wants to, regardless of consequences. And because you counted on that with me, the same as you counted on that with all the others. Would you have done this to me if the Falcon had been real and you got your money? Don't be too sure I'm as crooked as I'm supposed to be. That sort of reputation might be good business, bringing high-priced jobs and making it easier to deal with the enemy. But a lot more money would have been one more item on your side of the scale. If you'd loved me, you wouldn't have needed any more on that side. Come in. Hello, Tom. Got him? Got him. Swell. Here's another one for you. She killed Miles. Oh, and I've got some exhibits. A boy's guns, one of Cairo's, and a thousand dollar bill I was supposed to be bribed with. And this black statuette here that all the fuss was about. What's the matter with your little playmate? He looks broken hearted. I bet when he heard Gutman's story, he thought he had me. Go to the house, Sam. Well, should we be getting down to the hall? Harry. What is it? The, uh, stuff that dreams are made of. That's the line, that's the moment, the legendary moment when Bogart says that and he touches the Maltese Falcon. And, you know, the Maltese Falcon itself, I'm trying to remember there are several or there were several versions of that statue. And I think it sold not too long ago at auction. It's a legendary film. The bird, Bogart... Mary Astor, yeah. 
model of the falcon you know these films take on a whole nother life and what's interesting is the term film noir didn't really pop up until this era was over and people were trying to generalize and trying to name okay all these detective stories and this is along the lines of film noir and i've talked about that before how film noir there's neo-noir you could say that Chinatown with Jack Nicholson that's that's a a form of neo noir but the Maltese Falcon the Maltese Falcon really changed everything mm. here we go so the statue itself the mystery of the uh, Maltese Falcon one of the most valuable movie props in history that's true hmm Along with the ruby slippers Judy Garland wore in The Wizard of Oz and Orson Welles' rosebud sled, which burns in the final frames of Citizen Kane, there is probably no more iconic item of Hollywood's memorabilia than the Maltese Falcon. The black statuette that Humphrey Bogart as Detective Sam Spade tracked down in John Huston's classic film of the same name. Lost to history for decades, it resurfaced in the 1980s in the hands of a Beverly Hills oral surgeon and beginning in 1991 traveled to the world as part of a warner brothers retrospective with stops at the center pompeo in paris the museum of modern art in new york city and elsewhere in 2013 it was offered for sale by bonham's auction house there was talk it might go for one million or more but at the auction in Bonham's Madison Avenue showroom on November 25th, 2013, the bidding quickly passed $1 million, then $2 million, then $3 million. Spectators gasped as a bidder in the audience jeweled with one on the telephone, driving the price higher and higher. Only when bidding reached $3.5 million did the bidder in the crowd surrender, sending the Falcon to the man on the phone, who was later revealed to represent Steve Wynn, the Las Vegas hotel and casino billionaire. With the buyer's premium, the total price coming to a stunning $4.1 million. The crowd burst into applause. The auctioneers wheeled out a tub of champagne bottles to celebrate. And with good reason, it was one of the highest prices ever paid for a piece of movie mem- memorabilia. And two of the others were for cars. The original Batmobile, which sold for $4.6 million earlier that year. And the Aston Martin Sean Connery drives in Goldfinger. News of the Falcon sale was carried on the network news and in newspapers around the world. Today it sits along with a pair of Picassos, a Matisse, and a sculpture uh, in a meeting room of Wynn's Las Vegas Villa. That is the official version of what happened to the Maltese Falcon. But it's just one chapter in a complex tale. It turns out there is another far stranger version. And another Falcon. Several more, in fact. This version which draws in characters as diverse as Leonardo DiCaprio and the woman butchered in one of Hollywood's greatest unsolved murders constitutes a real-life mystery every bit as bizarre as the one Sam Spade confronted on film. So think about that. There were several copies of the Falcon itself. And whenever you make a film, they always try to make several on hand. Because if one breaks or one is lost, and it's all about the continuity continuity of making sure it's in the film. But 
that moment right there where Humphrey Bogart holds it and says, the stuff that dreams are made of is legendary. And so for this piece of movie memorabilia to sell for $4.3 million, and here we are 80 years later talking about, I mean, no one from the film is, is still around. John Huston died in the 1980s. Humphrey Bogart died in the 1950s. Mary Astor, I believe, died in the 1980s. Peter Lorre, I think, died in the 60s. And Peter Lorre worked several times again with Humphrey Bogart. But what really interested me is Bogart and John Huston, they both loved to drink. They both, I mean, they were wild men. They went on to make, geez, I mean, you got, okay, if we can count on the finger, how many mil- films that they collaborate with, you have to have to use two fingers, but for continuity, I'm going to look it up, because I don't want to get it wrong, okay, okay. Ah, here we go. Bogart and Houston, as an actor and director, collaborated on six films. It started with The Maltese Falcon in 1941, followed by Across the Pacific a year later. Four other films came next. They were The Treasure of the Sierra Madre in 1948, Key Largo in 1948, and The African Queen in 1951, followed by Beat the Devil in 1953. Lauren Bacall has talked lovingly about her husband and so did John Houston. John Houston loved Humphrey Bogart. It was he was his buddy because he could trust him. And this is John Houston talking about Bogart from the Dashiell Hammett book. And um uh, the original intention was to have George Raft play it, but uh, he pulled away from it because he didn't want to trust his career to a young director, to someone who had never directed before. And um, Bogart, to my secret delight, was substituted. And um, uh, that picture began, I think, a whole new career for Bogey. Question is, have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? It wasn't all laughs for the newlyweds. In 1947, when the House Un-American Activities Committee, under the leadership of J. Parnell Thomas, accused 19 Hollywood writers of being communists, Bogart and Bacall, along with other stars, flew to Washington to protest. We sat in the committee room and heard it happen. We saw American citizens denied the right to speak by elected representatives of the people. We saw police take citizens from the stand like criminals. We saw the gavel of a committee chairman cutting off the words of free Americans. The sound of that gavel, Mr. Thomas, rings across America. Because every time your gavel struck, it hit the First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. I was prized to read a few days after I got back to California um, that Bogey had recanted. And uh, I talked to him about it when he came back out. He said he, he thought that we had made a mistake in this. 
I regard it as a mistake that Bogey did this. He should have stuck to his guns. Houston's difference of opinion with Bogey didn't stop them from working together. They went on to collaborate on two of their best films, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre and Key Largo, in which Bogey co-starred with Betty for what would turn out to be the last time. I, I felt that Betty was, in a sense, going to uh, to school with, with Bogey. He, he worked with her and... and uh, taught her how to use her voice and, and rehearsed with her, um, taking a great load off the director may I add. A week after he finished shooting The Harder They Fall, Bogey started having painful coughing spells. His friends urged him to see a doctor. When he did, the test came back positive. He had and so we're going to pull away from there. Because we're not going to talk about the sad ending of Humphrey Bogart. Because this is a celebration of the Maltese Falcon. But you can hear in that interview that John Huston thought the world of Humphrey Bogart. Even if he made a mistake in that moment in the 1940s. And his marriage to Lauren Bacall. The Maltese Falcon as I've said before, is a moment where its star and its director, the stars align, both become these legends of that film era. And not bad for your first film. So much so that uh, John Huston's own father, Walter Huston, makes an appearance in... The, tri- uh, the Maltese Falcon. To wish his son luck. And he's the one who delivers the bird. Directed by Mr. John Houston. Starring Humphrey Bogart, Mary Astor, Sidney Greenstreet, and Peter Lorre. This is the Maltese Falcon. The stuff that dreams are made of. Unpleasant dreams. Thank you. 